Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. It's good to be back up here to share the Word of God with you, and I want to get right into it. I hope you have scriptures with you. Uh, most of you, when I say that, you hold up your phone. Uh, but regardless, how many of you love the Word of God this morning? <laughs> I do. It's been a passion since I came to know him a few years back. <laughs> now I no longer say how long that's been, but it's been a pa passion for me to study the Word. And I, I want to mention, uh, also emphasize a, a couple of announcements because they're quite significant. Tomorrow morning at 9.30 for the men, please come. Uh, if you're not comfortable with that, stretch yourself a little bit, and if you're available, please come to the men's breakfast tomorrow, 9.30 to, it'll go to approximately 10.45, and then the ladies have a real event afterwards, and that's the Hanukkah gift exchange. Be sure you find a gift that uh, has a scripture on it and come to that. It's at a, uh, begins approximately 11, 11.30, sometime. I think it's 11. It's in the communique, and I want to emphasize Ed Pindell's celebration of life tomorrow at 2.30. How many of you remember Ed? Wonderful brother. He was a shamish here, a deacon. And um, t tomorrow, it, it's, it's been a while since we've seen them because Ed went through uh, a case, increasing case of Alzheimer's. And then he, uh, he did pass away, I believe it was last Thursday, as Kevin said. So if you, if you want to recall and Remember Ed tomorrow at 2.30 also. Uh, please come to that. It'll be here in the sanctuary. And it's going to be an interesting service because it's really going to be focused on Ed and the things that Ed liked. It'll be, be pretty interesting. Well, if you have read through Scripture, you probably have your favorite character. And I hope the first one that comes to your mind is Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. If you've read through the Torah, the first five books of the Scripture, you may have some characters that you like in the Torah. I would hope so. Uh, gentlemen like Avraham, women like Sarah, Sarah, Rachel, Rachel, Leah, Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Jacob's sons. And our topic today will center upon, at least begin with, Joseph, who in Hebrew, his name is Yosef, Joseph. And as we read through scripture, we encounter quite a long segment in the book of Bereshit, Genesis, that deals with the life of Joseph. And I'd suggest to you, if you haven't had a chance to read the whole life of Joseph, just pick where it begins with Joseph and pretty much uh, from there in Genesis all the way to the end of the chapter deals with Joseph, and, and into Exodus chapter 1, where Joseph's name is mentioned in a very significant way. It says that a king arose in Egypt that did not know Joseph. 
So all the way into Exodus chapter 1, Joseph's a main character. And when we think about his life, at least when I think about his life, and we start diagramming his life, some of the things he went through, it is quite a journey that he had in his life. It's a journey that was full of human drama. Within his life, he had times where, as a young man, uh, it was pretty difficult for him, as particularly in relationship to his brothers. We use the term sibling rivalry. It actually got beyond that. If you're familiar with the story of Yosef, Joseph got beyond that. He ended up having strained interactions, strained relationships with family members. And yet, through all that we read in the book of Genesis, we keep seeing that behind the scenes, and sometimes in the front of the scene, is the Lord. That this young man, as we're first introduced to him, that this young man, the hand of God was upon this young man. We could say this way, even though he had what could arguably call some idiosyncrasies, the Lord's hand was upon that young man. And the scripture is clear in, in Acts chapter 7, beginning with verses 9 and 10, when it alludes to Joseph, it uses a couple of very poignant sentences to describe him. We read in Acts chapter 7, verse 9, the patriarchs, that, that would be Joseph's brothers, the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with Joseph. But God was with Joseph and delivered Joseph out of all his troubles and gave Joseph favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who made Joseph governor over Egypt and all his house. There, in just a few sentences, we find in Maseh HaShlechim, the Acts of the Apostles, a description of Joseph's life. Envious brothers sold into Egyptian bondage, but God is with him, and eventually Joseph rises to the top, so to say, of the Egyptian society. And this individual, Joseph, and I think you would agree with this statement, is among a host of Bible characters to whom we can in some way relate. If I was to ask you this question, which Bible characters do you relate to, I'm sure you could come up with some. And many would even say Joseph himself, they relate to him. Perhaps you've been raised in a situation with sibling rivalry. Perhaps you felt mistreated. Or perhaps you felt like God has just taken you from where you were in life and has helped you to progress forward and put you in a high place in a good way. As David HaMelech, King David says, he, he, he put me in a high place. He put my feet upon the rock. Now, if you're wondering who are some of the individuals we could relate to, and there are many, if you are rejoicing in your life due to an unusual stroke of blessing you receive from the Lord, and how many of you have received an unusual stroke of blessing from the Lord at one time or the other? Most of us have. And it goes well beyond finances. 
Sometimes it's that inner quality of peace that he gives to us. And how precious is that peace in a society of turmoil. But if you have rejoiced because of an unusual stroke of blessing from the Lord that came upon your life, well, maybe you might look at Miriam, the mother of Yeshua, commonly called Mary. Her Hebrew name was Miriam. The mother of Yeshua, she's, it explains to us in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47. It says, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in, it's curious terminology after that, has rejoiced in God my Savior. Just as an aside, this Tuesday at our Bible study, we've been doing a series of biographies. Samuel, Jeremiah, last week we did Yeheskel, Ezekiel. This week uh, we're scheduled to do Miriam, the mother of Yeshua, her life. Pretty interesting stuff. That's at 7.30 on Tuesday. But if you've had an unusual stroke of blessing in your life, maybe Miriam is someone you can relate to. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. On the other hand... If you are here today and you've been running from the Lord and his call on your life. <laughs> and I hope that doesn't describe anyone here today or anyone hearing these words. You might want to read the book of Jonah. That could be quite informative. Or if you tend to open your mouth and insert your foot, or might I say it this way, your feet... You might want to think of some of Peter's, Kepha's, offhand statements that he makes. And my favorite is in Matthew 17 in the parallel passages when the transfiguration occurs and Yeshua's there and, and, and he, it's, his clothing is beyond what any launderer could do, it says. And Kepha doesn't know what to say. Have you ever had one of those moments where you just don't know what to say? He says, well, this is good we're here. Can I make a sukkah for you? Or something to that effect. And the divine response is quite pronounced. Basically, the Lord says to him, no, listen to my son. Listen to my son. Or if you are secretly, and underline the word secretly here, you're secretly kvetching within yourself. You've got the spirit of complaining going on inside of you. And that... Is he, you know, revolving around this idea that you're not getting enough help in your life and, you know, you're doing everything and no one else is doing anything. If that's what's happening inside of you, well, you might want to ponder the sisters of Lazarus, Martha and Miriam, Martha and Mary. You might want to ponder that story found in the Gospel of Yohanan, John. Or if you're here today... And you have a deep love for the Jewish people. And you just lovingly want to support Messianic Judaism or congregations like Rosh Pina. You, you feel like your time, your talent, your treasure, those type of things are important to you to express your love of the God of Israel and the people of Israel. You might gain some inspiration also from the book of Acts from the Roman centurion named Cornelius. 
In Acts chapter 10, he's described, and if you think about it, this description of him is quite unusual. It goes into detail because he was a Roman centurion. It describes what he was like. Almost as if to say that he was an unusual character in his temperament, in his focus in life, his decisions in life, his, his desire in life. It says in Acts chapter 10 verse 2 that he was a devout man. And maybe the next phrase, as, in, as important as any other, he was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household who gave charitable gifts generously to the people. And oftentimes in Scripture, the term ha'am, the Hebrew term ha'am, the people, refers to the Jewish people. And prayed to God always. So he was a devout man. He feared the Lord. He was very charitable. And he had a prayer life. Is that inspiration? How many of you find inspiration in those kind of ideas? I do. And this is the Roman centurion who is named by name and is a key figure in the book of Acts for the history. Can I say it this way? And I don't believe it's an exaggeration. The history of the world thereafter. And it goes even more into detail. It says about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision a malach Elohim, an angel of God, coming in, and saying to him, and notice what the malach says, the angel says. The angel says what? Calls him by his name. If you have the characteristics of Cornelius going on in your life, you can be sure that the Lord knows your name. He says, Cornelius. And when Cornelius saw him, <laughs> he was afraid. How would you have been, by the way? <laughs> He was afraid. Here he's this Roman centurion. He's, he's a something in the world of Rome, so to say. But when he sees the Malach Elohim, the angel of God, says he was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? So the Malach, the angel, said to him, notice this, please. Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. To this day, do you realize here we are in Oklahoma City, 2021, and who am I standing up here talking about? A Roman centurion named Cornelius. That his deeds, his heart, his story has been kept all these now more than 2,000 years, or give or take 2,000 years. What an impact, what an impression he left with his deeds, with his prayers, with his generosity, with his life. We remember him and his lifestyle, his prayers, his giving, his caring. And I think Acts chapter 10 in general, the whole story, the whole narrative concerning Cornelius is a remarkable passage, especially when you consider it in, in respect to the rest of the book of Acts. For example, 
several chapters prior, we encounter some other individuals whose names are still living on, might I add, living on in infamy to this day. Two people whose names you probably know. Their English names, Ananias and Sapphira. How many of you have heard of those two individuals before? This husband-wife team. Ananias and Sapphira. And this husband and wife duo, they were acted within the community around them, the believing community, as if they were fully committed. They put the ears on that they were, as if they were sacrificing for the good of the community. That's what they were presenting. But the truth is that they were concerned mainly about their own welfare. That was their number one issue. They were quite self-centered. You can see that as you read about them. And they really weren't as generous as they were portraying themselves to be. They tried to make people think, in other words, that they were, they were something else. But the truth was they were living a lie in the midst of the community. Acts chapter 5 also gives us a description of them. And when you contrast the description of Ananias and Sapphira with the description of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, Ananias and Sapphira were Jewish believers. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 1. It says, a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife. And let me say something to the married among us. Husbands and wives should encourage one another in the things of God, to progress in the things of God in righteousness and truth. That should be the type of relation we have. That we're encouraging one another, how do I say it? In simpler terms, encouraging one another in the Lord to step closer to the Lord. But it says, a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold the possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. I want you to please notice how the story progresses. But Kepha, Peter, said, Ananias... <laughs> Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? If you read this contextually, you realize that Ananias and Sapphira were kind of slipping in here. Everyone else was fully committing, and they were kind of slipping into that realm, but they weren't fully committed. And it goes on. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing? Notice what he says. Conceive this thing in your heart. You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, I'll spare you the details of what happens with Ananias and Sapphira, but I will ask you, how many of you remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? If you, if you don't, please read Acts chapter 5. But it's not a pretty picture. They were presenting within the community how committed they were, how generous they were, but they really weren't at all. 
Their main goal was them, self. Cushion. Now, if you're a person here today and you're determined to draw near to the Lord Yeshua, well, you may find inspiration from an unusual source here today. I spoke about this man several weeks ago. A curious little Jewish man. You know him. He was the diminutive tax collector we know as Zacchaeus. How many of you have heard of Zacchaeus? Most of us. It tells us that this short man, <laughs> I like that, by the way. This short man, literally a little guy amongst the crowd, he was determined that he wanted to see Yeshua. He was determined. He heard something was going on. Yeshua was passing by way of Yericho, Jericho. He wanted to see Yeshua. He's a little short man, it says. He was so determined, and this is a picture, and I would love to have the DVD or video of this, but little Zacchaeus determines he's going to climb a sycamore tree. And lo and behold, he does. He climbs a sycamore tree. He's determined to climb this tree so he can catch a glimpse, be closer to, if you will, of Yeshua ben David, Jesus, the son of David. So here's what it says about Zacchaeus. It's found in Luke chapter 19. That's the only one of the Gospels that tells this narrative. Luke 19 verse 1 says, Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was, notice the terminology, he was a chief tax collector. Not just a tax collector, but a major tax collector. And he was rich. And he sought to see who Yeshua was. But he could not because of the crowd. And then it says this about him, for he was of short stature. So Zacchaeus ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Yeshua, for he was going to pass that way. Yeshua was going to pass that way. And when Yeshua came to the place, he looked up and saw Zacchaeus and said to him, notice this, he knows his name. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Right there, there is a crux point in this text because Zacchaeus, and there are certain personalities that might do this, Zacchaeus could have said, no, that's too much trouble today. Come back tomorrow or the next day. My house isn't clean. I don't have enough food. There are so many things he could have said. Yeshua says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. So Zacchaeus made haste and came down. And I love this next phrase. And he received Yeshua, how? Joyfully. Joyfully. There were so many things that could have robbed his joy. Some of the things I just mentioned. Some of the practical things, and many of us struggle with the practical things, robbing our joy and stealing our joy in the Lord. But somehow this little guy, little Zacchaeus, this chief tax guy, 
somehow manages to not allow that to happen. He received Yeshua joyfully, but when they saw it, they, meaning the crowd, they all complained. They all complained, and they were saying, Yeshua has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Their statement recorded in the book of Luke tells us much about what Zacchaeus was going through in his life. Whether it was said directly to him or not, we don't know, but it was understood among many in his circle that he was what? He's a tax collector. He is a capital S sinner. Then Zacchaeus in verse 8 Then Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, (laughs) I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Not onefold, not twofold, not threefold. I restore fourfold. It gives you the idea of what this man had going on inside of himself. He may have been a little man in stature, but he was becoming a big man in principle. Is that happening in your life? Maybe you're growing in the principles of God. And some of the things before that used to let slide in your life, he's calling you to the task and saying, no, walk the straight and narrow. Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Yeshua said to him, today, this very day is what the Hebrew would say, hayom, this very day. Today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And it may be here today that you feel in that place where you need the Lord to seek you out and find you. You feel a little bit bewildered by life. You feel a little bit bewildered by your life. You feel bewildered by what's happening around you. Just know there is a good shepherd and his eyes are on his sheep. It says he calls them by name. We see that repeated over and over again where God's people are called by their name. I have called you by name. You are mine is how Isaiah said. Afterwards, he says, when you pass through the waters, when you go through the fire, I am going to be with you. God is with you, my friends, today. Whatever you are experiencing, whatever you're going through, the question is not God's faithfulness in the midst of your trial. The question is your faithfulness in the midst of your trial. That's the big question. Will you draw near to God? The thing about little Zacchaeus is that he chose and he put effort into drawing near to Yeshua. In your heart of hearts, are you choosing in your life to make decisions that brings you closer to Yeshua? Are you putting effort into drawing nearer to the Lord? Is there really some time in your prayer life? In other words, do you have a prayer life? 
Is there really some time connected with your study of the Word of God? Do you even take time to study the Word of God? And what about fellowship? Because those three things are inseparable, prayer, fellowship, and the Word. And as I've often said, it's like a three-legged stool. If you remove one of those legs, you're going to topple. You may balance for a while, but that three-legged stool, prayer, fellowship, and the Word, fellowship meaning the gathering together like we're doing here today, is critical for your spiritual health and for your future. And when you lop off one of those legs and think you're doing a good thing, you're not. It does take effort sometimes to spend time in prayer. It does take a little bit of clearing out the seed somewhat so that you can be alone with God in prayer. It takes some time to get the Word of God out and study the Word and not be caught up in all the news and the politics and the sports, but to focus upon Him who ever lives and who is coming back again. And you know He's coming back at a time that we might not expect. It takes time to make an effort to commune with fellow believers. It can be very inconvenient. Some of us live far away. Very inconvenient. I, I promise you that Yeshua knows every one of these efforts that you put out. From your generosity to how you spend your time, he knows it all. Somehow Zacchaeus, down there in Jericho, the little tree climber of a man, the chief tax collector, the one who received Yeshua joyfully into his home with no preparation. Somehow Zacchaeus recognized just how unique Yeshua is. Do you recognize how Yeshua is unique and there's none like unto him? There's no other name given among men whereby you can be saved than Yeshua the Messiah. All other names, it's not an even Stephen thing. All other names don't compare to his. He is the unique, only begotten, Ben Hayachid, the unique, only begotten Son of God. No religious system, no religious belief. Yeshua is your Savior. He is your Yeshua, your salvation. Somehow Zacchaeus recognized this. As he was sequestered off in Jericho, and to this day Jericho's out there, you leave the big lights of Jerusalem and you go down to this little place called Jericho. I've walked the streets numbers of times. It hardly ever rains there. There are some palm trees. And that's where Zacchaeus was doing a deed that no one really appreciated, tax collecting. But he knew Yeshua was unique. He knew Yeshua was incomparable. And as Zacchaeus extended unusual and for him significant efforts to draw near to the Lord and to do them willingly, to extend those efforts, Yeshua came into his home. And to me, his home was a symbol of his life. It's due to contact with Yeshua that Zacchaeus sought to conduct himself more righteously in life as well. So among several reasons 
How did Yeshua know that Zacchaeus had potential? Among seven reasons, one seems to stand out from the others, at least from my perspective. Zacchaeus was willing to change. He was willing to change his self-serving ways. He was willing to make amends where necessary. There was something about that that Yeshua spotted. And remember in Jericho, he's with a throng of people, including the blind, yelling out, Yeshua, son of David, heal us. But he noticed Zacchaeus, who was willing to change, make amends in his life. And let me ask you here, as we conclude, let me ask you this question. Are you willing to change your self-centered ways to do what's right in the Lord's sight? Are you willing? Are you willing to change your ways so that you might please him above all else? Please your Messiah above all else. And thus become the man or the woman or the young person or the more mature person that Yeshua desires you to be. Are you willing to change? Are you willing to walk in that direction in your life? Or are you going to go in the other direction? Because our life is constantly confronted with these type of ideas by the Ruach HaKodesh. Are you willing to change? We're told in 2 Corinthians that we are being changed spiritually. We're being changed from glory to glory, faith to faith, as we don't look at the things that are seen, we look at that which is unseen. And the great unseen one is Yeshua the Messiah, who will be seen when his feet touch down on the Mount of Olives, And the words of the prophet comes true where it splits in two. And he sets up his throne, not in New York City, not in Dallas, (laughs) Hong Kong, Shanghai, wherever. There's only one place that he sets up his throne, and that's Jerusalem, the city of peace. Zacchaeus also didn't make excuses for his ways. I find that interesting. He went above and beyond the call of duty. I'll restore four times as much. And Yeshua chose to make his presence known to Zacchaeus. He chose to come into his home. He chose to dine with him. And by the way, that's a universal invitation according to Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. Probably the most repeated verse in the whole book of Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, if anyone, are you part of that, everyone? If every, anyone hears my voice, and then it requires some action and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Friends, Yeshua still recognizes those who trust him. He recognizes those who are faithful to him. He knows you by name. 
And if we are truly born-again believers, nolad mechadash, as it's called, born anew in the Hebrew language, we are truly born again, and we've been immersed with water, and every believer should go through water immersion. That is the pattern that's put forth in Scripture. And now we live by the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Our words and our deeds should show it. Doesn't mean we're perfect. It means we're in the state of being matured by the Spirit. And when we trust Yeshua as our Lord and Savior, when we trust Him, and we make Him King on the throne of our hearts, I'm not talking about anyone else's heart except our own hearts, we become a new creation. Do you recall, those of you who are believers, do you recall how you used to be? It's not good to look back and relive but it's good sometimes to give God the glory for just how much he has changed you. How many of you can say that he has really changed your life? I, I can. <laughs> I don't know how, but he's done it. He's doing it. We're being, we were delivered, we're being delivered, and we shall be delivered by the power of our blessed Messiah, Yeshua, his Holy Spirit, Grace and truth are now part of our lives. Where before maybe ungraciousness and lies, now grace and truth are part of our lives. And Yochanan, John chapter 1, verse 17 tells us, for the law, the instruction was given through Moses. Say the rest with me, please. But grace and truth came through Yeshua the Messiah. Grace and truth. Are you thankful for his amazing grace? His superabundant grace for his grace that's sufficient for you. I am. Are you thankful for his truth? His truth that sets free. His truth that brings light where darkness was pervading. I am. And each week as we gather here on Shabbat and the other days of the week that we gather we represent many different backgrounds, many different family units when we come together. But all of us in our uniqueness and our differences, we are united into one true vine, Yeshua the Messiah. He's the vine, and guess what we are? Hallelujah, we're the branches. <laughs> we're his, his extension out into this world. The branches of a healthy tree continue to grow out or grow forward. And our fellowship is based upon him, upon who he is, that he called us out of darkness into his light. He's the center of this congregation. He must be the center of our lives, our actions. And there's nothing too difficult for him, what we face. Maybe you're facing something really difficult right now. And this can be a very difficult and trying time of season for many who have lost loved ones, have experienced hardships, or feel lack. But he pleads the cause of the widows and the orphans. He comforts those who mourn. He heals the brokenhearted. This is our Messiah. Don't you love him today? 
is our Messiah. This is what he does. This is the king. This is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Amos chapter 5 verse 8 describes God like this. It says, he made the Pleiades and Orion. These are two of the constellations that I can actually find in the heavens. <laughs> there are a few others, but these two, the Pleiades and Orion. It says, he made the Pleiades and Orion. Think about that. Don't, don't, don't gloss over that. He set them in their place. He made them. He turns the shadow of death into mourning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G. And he makes the day dark as night. In other words, daylight becomes dark. He does all this. He calls for the waters of the sea and he pours them out on the face of the earth. He does these type of things. Do you think what you're facing in life right now is too difficult for him? Let me give you the answer. No, it's not. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. And then Amos, the prophet, says, the Lord is his name. Say that with me. The Lord is his name. The one you need today, the Lord is his name. The one that can help you with what you're struggling with, the Lord is his name. The one who loves you and sent his son to die for you, the Lord is his name. The Lord is his name. And lastly, Isaiah chapter 12, beginning with verse 4. And in that day you will say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted, sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. And this is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that you give us in Scripture from which we can gain insights that we can relate to Thank you, Lord, for causing your word to be reality. Where we read of individuals who struggled. We read of individuals who were short. We read of individuals who, who just seemed to be caught up in all the things that they were. The Mary and Marthas. And yet we also read of Eleazar, Lazarus, whom you literally brought back from the dead. Lord, please breathe life into your people today. We pray for the nation of Israel at this time that you'll continue to breathe life into the Jewish people. We pray, O oh Lord, for our land here, the United States, for those making decisions. We pray you will turn the heart of the Supreme Court to stop the abortions going on in this land. We pray, Lord, you will turn the hearts of the children to their parents and the parents to their children. We pray, Lord, that you would show yourself mighty. Thank you for your love and your peace. Thank you especially for sending your son, Yeshua. And to his name and according to his merit, I make this request. Amen. 
You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.